Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Trust Us podcast, a fun look at sport and physical activity from Falkirk Community Trust. My name's Ennis Patterson and I'm joined today by my co-host Pete McDougall. Hi Pete. How are we doing? And what a guest we have lined up for you today. Um, he has worked alongside some of the greats in sport, including his time at university when he worked alongside myself. Um, probably more notably, he's worked alongside Louis Van Gaal, Ryan Giggs, Jose Mourinho, it's Head of First Team Analysis at Manchester United, Paul Brand. How are you doing, Paul? I'm all right, Ennis. Um, yeah, I think you're right that you you are the stand, standout in that list. <laughs> I thought so. I thought maybe some people maybe not have heard of me, so I thought I'd chuck the other ones out there as well. Paul, thanks very much for joining us today on the Trust Us podcast. Um, just to get us kicked off, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey through sport, how you got to where you are today? Yeah, no problem. So I'm uh, 32 years old now and I've been working professionally in football since I was 20. Um, went to university with yourself in Dundee, uh, Aberdeen University, uh, where we studied sports coaching and development. And to be honest, I, I went to university not really knowing what I, what I wanted to do as a career. Um, it was kind of a case that 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 course was very convenient. Actually, it was close to Forfar where I'm from, um, and the 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 content of the course suited, I think, what what I wanted to progress in. Albeit I didn't know exactly what job I wanted to to do. Um, and then through that, I think it was in second year we we had a module on performance analysis. It was something I'd never heard of before. We probably like I probably was aware that clubs would have done like their their background work on analysing performance and analysing the opposition and stuff, but we got a bit of an eye opener uh, in that in that module with regards to how it works within the industry um, and also what it looks like in terms of a profession. And as soon as that that sort of came to our attention, um, it was something that I was a little bit fixated on, to be honest. I remember they actually put up a a job advert for. Um, Manchester City uh, head of analysis at the time, and it like listed the sort of the, the the roles and responsibilities, listed the qualifications, listed the salary, um, and since then it was like right that that's the type of thing not at Manchester City, but that's the type of thing that that I want to I want to strive for, um, and we were really fortunate, weren't we, that we got a, an opportunity at Hibs Football Club, um, not working for Hibs but working for a a provider who were, were basically trying to provide uh, real-time data in football. Um, and it was through that where there was like eight of us working part-time every other weekend at Hibs that um, I managed to do to do well on that and, and keep in touch with the guy who was running it. Um, and through that um, and through somebody else that worked at Hibs, I got an opportunity to um, for a role at Blackburn, which was basically Blackburn Rovers, which was basically a, a sort of number two analyst position that was responsible for supporting the, the work that was going on within the first team and taking responsibility of the reserves at that time. And looking back, that so that was in December 2008. Um, and we were in the middle of our fourth year at that point, middle of dissertation year. Um, and I just left uni, just just ran away basically and, and took this job, moved to England w- within two days of find out about this opportunity. So didn't fully complete my degree, but um, obviously looking back, it was the right decision. 
Um, but uh, yeah, and, and looking back, I was really fortunate because the industry was still in quite a quite a primitive stage where jobs like that were coming up and they weren't flooded with applicants. So, for example, nowadays a number two position at Blackburn Rovers would receive best part of 150, 200 applications probably. So I was sort of given the benefit of the doubt, given a chance to prove myself and, and quickly got offered the, the job full time. Uh, from there, I became head of analysis at Blackburn after about 15 months, um, built up a good department at Blackburn over four and a half years, and then was lucky enough to be offered the the position, the senior analyst position at, at um, Manchester United after I applied for that job in the summer of 2013. Well, your job's probably quite an alien job to a lot of people. It's quite an unusual role. As you said, there's, there's not a lot of roles like this around the country. Um, can you just give everybody a, a, an insight into what your sort of day, working day looks like from start to finish? What time you go in and then when you finish up? How does that all look? I mean, in, in, essentially, in short, my job and our job as analysts is to, is to, in the most informative and efficient way, pass on information to coaches and players. That's the, that's the role, really, whether it's investigation, um, labour in terms of just watching footage or whatever, trawling through information. And like I say, passing that on to the coaching staff and the players, because at the end of the day, those are the ones that make the decisions that then impact the performance, which then, obviously, with the goal to, to achieve results. Um, a typical day for me, obviously, it depends. We work in match cycles, really. Um, but a typical day really involves having contact with the coaches first thing in the morning to get an understanding as to what our next meeting is going to be, whether that's a staff meeting or a team meeting. Um, the staff meetings can take different forms, whether it's like information gathering, i.e. watching footage or looking through data, uh, reading information on the internet, listening to press conferences, whatever it could be on the opposition, um, or preparing for a team meeting, which is normally after we've after we've gathered all the information we think we need for an upcoming match. Um, and I'm talking specifically my main responsibility, which is opposition analysis. Um, we'll then formulate a team meeting and decide on the content for that to best give the lads the um, the preparation they need for the upcoming match. So it, it varies every day, but it essentially it's, for me, it's making sure that I've got contact with the coaching staff to make sure that they've got what they need for training uh, for the team meeting and then normally in the afternoons that's when we hold our our sort of analyst and, and coaches meetings to uh, further gain more insight or get ready for the next meeting or whatever it might be um, so yeah and then obviously match days is a is a bit of a different um, thing completely we've normally got a final meeting to prepare for and then we've got a different service that we, we or, a, or an extra service that we obviously provide during before, during and after the game. Um, again, to make sure the coaches and the players are, are as prepared as possible. And then also during the game to try and provide them uh, some insight that will help sort of manage the rest of the match or whatever.
Paul, you mentioned there that the main part of your role is the opposition analysis. Um, I'm interested, is there any teams or individual players that you found particularly challenging to prepare for against? Yeah, I mean, to answer it the best way, the easiest teams are, are the ones that are, are the simplest and the most consistent. Um, because if you imagine my, my responsibility is to make sure that the information that I'm passing on to the coaching staff and then that then gets passed on to the players, which impacts decision-making for the preparation of matches, that, needs, that information needs to be right. So when you come up against teams who never, ever change, you know that you don't really have to trawl through a lot of information or footage or whatever it might be. Um, but the hardest matches to prepare for are the teams that are inconsistent. So the teams that change formation a lot, the teams that have had key injuries, um, the teams that are in a bad state of form sometimes because, you again, you can't predict that they're not going to change. Um, that's the most challenging one for me. But then the most challenging one for the coaches is probably the teams that are the most complex and the teams that are the best at doing what they do. So the standout one over the years has been this Man City team that we've been facing for the last kind of three or four years where they've got such good players across the whole pitch and they're set up to hurt you in every phase of the game from multiple positions that you can't just... It's, it's almost almost one solution doesn't, um, doesn't fit all for those types of games. Um, so you've got a lot of layers which effectively translates to a lot of instructions for the players, for the team, going into every match. So checking out all of the different threats and problems, obviously also the, the areas that we can exploit teams, but checking out the, all those things first is a, is a big challenge. But then deciding on what we're going to do and, and ask the players to do and then getting them to implement it is extremely challenging from a coaching perspective. Paul, well, see, um, just going back when you're talking about your career, you, you mentioned how young you were when you got into the football industry. You're 20 years old, straight out of Aberdeen. Um, was it difficult? I mean, you've been parachuted into one of the biggest sporting competitions in the world. Was it was it difficult when you started out? Try to get your message across to coaches and players and, and things like that. I mean, with, with no disrespect to yourself, you didn't have a playing background or anything like that. Um, was it difficult to to get your word across at the start? To, to be honest, that's that's part of the one of the most important things in our job is to is to know is to have that self awareness and understand almost your level of respect and, and trust. To be honest. And it's probably the most important thing in our job because you can be the best analyst in the world, but if you're if your inability to communicate or you have a lack of respect, then coaches and, and players won't listen to you. Simple. So it's been it, it, honestly, it's probably the most important part of our job, and I actually believe it's the most important part of any support staff within football. But it probably extends to, to all sports that. Your your impact as a practitioner is is only as good as your uh, level of respect and confidence and trust. So when I first went in, obviously it depends on the on the type of job. But when I first went in, I didn't really have to deliver too much information directly. Um, I was kind of delivering it through people, or you would you would you would act very carefully. Um, one of the one of the benefits of 
of my job is that you can do this job to a very, very high level of objectivity. So it means that you're only talking about things that have happened. So, you know, we're playing Man City. This is what they did in this game. The extra level that you then add with your experience and your trust is to say, they did this. I think this will cause us a problem in this way. Or if we play this player, we need to be careful because, I don't know, the lack of speed won't suit well playing against Raheem Sterling, for example, or Kyle Walker. Um, that's then where you, once you gain that, that trust and relationship with the coaches, you can start implementing that. But to be honest, it takes an awful long time, I think, within your own experience to to gain a measure and an understanding of the industry as a whole and football in general at the, at the elite level um, to, to implement that. And the point you make on on playing at a certain level is completely right as well. Like I played junior level, a low junior level, um, played in some dodgy university teams. Um, <laughs> Very good university teams. I know, yeah. Um, but... I mean, it's it's absolutely nothing like what you experience, and and people watching TV will will think that football is the same at all levels, but it's really not. The speed, the technical ability. As soon as you witness a, a training session or a, or a football match close up at the at the speed that they play at and the strength and the power, and then you try and add all the la- all the layers of instruction and, and information, it's the best players reach the top level because they can do all those things, you know. Um, so understanding what it takes to implement a game plan, instructions and all that is a is something that's very, very important as an analyst because if I go around saying to coaches, well, it's fine, we just do this pattern and we'll score loads of goals. It doesn't work like that, do you know what I mean? Or if you think it can work like that, you've got to understand the route from video to training to match and, and there's so many, it's so hard to implement that sort of stuff that's why we as analysts and and people working in the industry have such a a respect for the coaches and and staffs and players that can implement those real sort of intricate patterns and structures you know I remember just talking about um the sort of standard these guys are at, Paul. I remember you telling me that you played five sides with the Man United coach and stuff. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we had um, in, in the period. That. Uh, <laughs> it was it was nuts, honestly. So it, it is a lot like it was it was it was just like a treat, basically. I mean, obviously, once you work with people like this, you kind of you don't have the you don't have the same uh, intimidation or starstruck nature of of working with these people because they're they're they're, um, they're colleagues. Just like you know, I had colleagues when I worked at McDonald's or whatever like that. You know, what I mean, you 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 have a different relationship with people, and you have to work with people to get the to get your point across or get their you know take on their point and stuff. But obviously, that's different when you have a, a staff match with players that have played at, at such a high level and. Honestly, what I'm talking about there about understanding the game and the level that that people have played at, like honestly, you just you've no idea how how bad you are at football until you <laughs> until you're getting twisted inside out by by Ryan Giggs or somebody like that. Do you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, been so fortunate with little things like that to have the ability to um, 
to just do something different with people like that. Do you know what I mean? Especially when you grow up watching them and supporting them. But honestly, like it sounds, it sounds like a really cheesy answer. But the the biggest thing you take from it is is a realization again in a different format because you're actually living it of the level of football. And this is like somebody who obviously could have kept playing at the age he was at at that point, but maybe not at the top level, but like the, the, the ability to to perform perfect technically like 95% of the time and manipulate the opposition and whatever. And he also had like such a winning mentality and, and it, we call it the cage. It was like a little, like a little ice rink type uh, shape where um, the ball never went out of play and uh, we had games like he never lost a game but I remember <laughs> there was a game where where it was really tight at the end and, and I was actually running through on goal and he just wiped me out just wiped me out would it would have been a red card in a normal game but like just like, I'm not I'm not losing like it just had no and no one was going to argue with him do you know what I mean <laughs> have you still got a poster of him up in your wall I do actually, yeah. I do. <laughs> nah, I don't think the missus would allow it. Um, Paul, just uh, obviously you're well established within the game now, but see when you're starting out, were you ever really starstruck by anybody or? I remember going down to visit you at Blackburn and even when I was meeting guys like Two Guy and Rocky Santa Cruz and stuff, I'm, I'm standing there thinking, this guy's worth £20 million, you know? Um, <laughs> was there any, ever a time you felt like that when you started out? Yeah, yeah, a little bit, yeah. I mean, <laughs> funny funny little story. My first, um, my first meeting with Sam Allardyce on the morning, so it was Christmas Eve, the day after I drove down to England, after I'd had that phone call. Uh, I met Sam, and I was kind of there for a bit of a trial, really. Um, and he uh, and I and I met him, and I was so nervous, and I and all but starstruck because obviously he was one of the best, on most experienced managers within the Premier League. And he said, like, "Hi, son, nice to meet you. Um, where uh, where do you where where did you do your training?" I have like that's not a term that we use in Scotland, like training, football training, right? It's not, yeah. it's not where did you study or whatever like that. And I'm like, oh, I just, <laughs> I just played for like a, for like a junior team, a local junior team, nothing great. And he's like, I don't need a, I don't need a centre half. I want to know where you've studied. <laughs> and it was just because I was so nervous. Like, so yeah, uh, I was also, I was also probably starstruck the first time I went to Old Trafford as well. Um, I'd only ever been once as a supporter um, in all my life and then obviously being in like the, the tunnel area and being around it, especially in that team, that team that was reaching the Champions League uh, finals in 08 and 09 um, with Rooney and Giggs and Scholes and, and, and that whole team. Um, that was that was pretty surreal, to be honest. But it, it's something that you need to... It's something you need to grow out of quite quickly, to be honest with you. It's something that it can only really hamper you if you're if you're starstruck or you're intimidated or or whatever. Um, so it's um, it's hard because I've been there. So I know when when people come into our club now, for example, I've got a degree of sympathy or understanding if you know people say or do things that they shouldn't because they're a bit giddy or whatever, but. Um, but I understand it because, especially with our club, it's something that's that's so unique, you know. Um, like I say, to be again to be 
trusted and 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 um, and, and reliable uh, in terms of dealing with coaches and players. You can't afford that that level of I don't know unprofessionalism. Let's say. So, so you've won. You've been fortunate enough, Paul, that you've won some trophies during your time at Man United. Um, what would you say has been your your highlight within your career so far? Yeah, the. I mean, professionally, with regards to the job I do. I've got to say, like, I'm really proud of the the sort of two departments that I've built at, at Blackburn and, and now uh, Manchester United. I mean, we went from a department of two of us when I started at Blackburn sort of 11 years ago or whatever it is now. Um, and we ended up with like five or something on a pretty tricky budget. Um, and then now at, at Man United, I, I actually believe we've got the best first team analysis department um, in the country and we've got a very, very good academy and, and women's team uh, service as well and, and members of staff. But the experience that we've got within the, the first team um, analysis department now is, is something I'm really proud of. Um, and a, apart from that, obviously the the moments that you're a part of winning those those finals and those trophies is, is a really big deal. Um for sure winning the sort of we won the the FA Cup in 2016 um but the the real reward comes from when you're when you're a real part of it do you know what I mean when you've contributed some substance to that and you're you're um given responsibility within that um so to be honest little achievements when that you might not think are are big deals but when you're a part of development um like this season you know, it's not something that we would celebrate finishing third in the Premier League, and we want to we want to be right at the top. But you know, given how much change there's been and and how much um, development there's been within the coaching staff and with ourselves as an analysis department working so closely with them this year to compete properly on all fronts and reach three semi-finals again, too short for our liking. But it was a very very substantial season uh, this season working with a. Uh, an incredibly good coaching staff that that value us and and put a lot of trust and responsibility in us and you know you can be a part of these big big games and and trophies and stuff but when you when you combine success with you know job satisfaction that's the I've got to admit it I know it sounds like the perfect answer but that's the that's where you really get the 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 sort of the real feeling of I don't know success and pleasure, job satisfaction, like I say. Well, Paul, you've been working at the very top level of analysis for a number of years. How do you think the game has evolved from possibly when you started to now? Yeah, there's two parts of it, really. I mean, I think the game of football's changed, and it, and it was probably changing in England mid 2000s when you had people like Jose come to come to the Premier League um, and their ability to break the game down in different ways but not only break the game down in terms of profiling it but the ability to then control those different parts of the game um, probably something that again working with Van Hal that he was probably doing ahead of his time um, with Ajax for example when, when they won the, the European Cup as well I think 
that's now become a standard across the Premier League and it's becoming more of a standard across Scottish football now as well. Um, and it's, yeah, like I say, it's that ability to structure the game. I think British football was pretty direct and pretty messy if you were to watch it back. I mean, even, you know, the insight that I've, I've been fortunate to have from people like Ryan Giggs and Michael Carrick, you know, when they've played in football in the in the noughties, the game's so much more structured now and, and intelligent. But I know that sounds maybe a little bit boring. Obviously, the, the, the key is to try and mix intelligent football with franticness, directness, uh, intensity. And again, that's something that teams like Manchester City and, and Liverpool possess. And I think we've done a pretty good job of that this season. Chelsea did a good job of it this season. That's where the game's at now. The, the, the directness and the intensity of British football from 15, 20 years ago is now being mixed with top-level intelligence and control. Um, so that's where it, where it is on, on the pitch, I'd say. Off the pitch, the ability to access different levels of information has, has transformed it. And again, things like wide-angle footage. I mean, there's literally no wide-angle footage of Man United winning the European Cup in 2008, for example, which now looking back would have been so 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 good to watch and analyse and study. Um, but that started only really becoming a thing late noughties, early, early 2010s. Um, advancements in technology with regards to players tracking the ability to understand the physical impact that players go through in training and matches and how that correlates uh, and leads to injuries, for example. All these things contribute to decision-making with regards to um, implementing performance. Um, so, yeah, there's there's countless. I mean, when the, the job that, that we were a part of in us when we were at Hibs in terms of gathering information in real time, what was that now, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, that's now a standard in the industry. You know, you can gain all that information live uh, in diff from different providers. Um, and, again, that has teams and, and analysts are able to use that to impact decision-making during games, especially after games, but it is there during games as well. So it's, uh, yeah, and, and, and that's not even touching on the, the level of information now available for recruitment purposes. You know, a lot of clubs you're seeing and hearing about, uh, clubs can, can, from a statistical point of view, understand the players that they've currently got, understand where they're they're high or low on the spectrum of what they want and they can t specifically target and find across Europe and across the world uh, players that match that profile, you know. Uh Paul, obviously, as you've mentioned, um, it's an industry that's growing rapidly and, and with the advancements in technology, there's there's more and more jobs becoming available. So see if there's any young people out there listening. Um, what advice would you give to them in terms of how they would go about getting into the industry? I know you've mentioned it's particularly challenging, so any kind of advice you could give them would be much appreciated. Yeah, I mean, the first thing, the first thing I would always tell people is they have to have an awareness of how, how tough it is now to get a, to get a full-time paid sort of substantial job in the industry. And... You know, I've advertised um, many of those types of jobs and we're literally talking hundreds of applicants. Applicants, And of those, I don't know, 150, 200 applicants, you know, 
the best part of 100 of them all have analysis experience. So first of all, you've got to stand out, especially, you know, any any say, average paid job, you have to stand out, first of all, with your experience. Um, I think you have to try and gain paid or unpaid, however, however you can do it. You have to probably gain a couple of years experience just to have your your application taken seriously. And it's not that it's not that people without that experience aren't serious or, or not taken seriously. It's just that for a paid role, the, there's that many applicants that you need to demonstrate that you've had a couple of years experience of understanding how things work, you know, coming across different problems. Um, you, you know, you have to spend that time gaining, gaining that experience, pure and simple. Um, and then within that, you have to try and demonstrate your, your unique skill set and your level um and for that there's so much available online now um with regards to the industry whether it's videos on youtube that kind of outline what people like myself do content like this via podcasts that outline um what the what the industry is and and what it, it takes to sort of perform um at a professional level um but even even down to things like you know the content that the external providers put out with regards to their products. You can you can easily identify the softwares that most of us use and download an instruction manual off the internet, for example, and work your way through that, and you'll quickly gain the knowledge and understanding of how to use a software, even if you've never used it. Um, all of that information is available if you if you go and find it. So. You can reach a you can reach a pretty solid level just by using kind of resources available online, but you have to gain that that practical experience of of being an analyst and and working within a a professional organisation. Not even sorry, not even a professional organisation, but an organisation providing a service to know then what it takes. Um, because at the end of the day, we receive that many applications for every single job that you you want in the end the the decision making process to be a conversation between organization and potential employee as to does the club fit you as an as a as a potential employee as well you know um and like i say it's very competitive so yeah and there's the last thing i'd add is there's there's so much kind of good analysis um whether it's data analysis tactical analysis um analysts tweeting about how the how their job works on you know, places like Twitter and Instagram as well. You know, you can you can quickly follow a hundred plus accounts if you just go on on Twitter and, and have a search. You know. Colin, you must be living your dream job, uh, growing up a Man United fan. But what are your kind of future aspirations now? Um. I'm not. I'm not looking to do anything different. I mean, the 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 dream, to be honest, is to. You know, I've been fortunate enough to be a part of uh, winning, you know, a club and a staff that have won FA Cup, League Cup, uh, Europa League. The two the two trophies I'd absolutely love to be a part of winning would be the the Premier League and the Champions League, because they they stand so so much higher than the rest. I mean, the Premier League to win that in this this current climate with the level of teams and, and, and coaches and players that we're, we're facing week in, week out is, 
you know, to win that, you don't win it by accident. And it's it's through absolute substance and being at such an elite level um, as a staff that you, you win something like that. Um, but as I touched on earlier, to be honest, as long as as long as I'm valued in, in my role and I'm I feel like I'm having a, a significant impact on the on the preparation of the coaches and the players, then that's the job satisfaction that I need, to be honest. Um one challenge these days is is balancing sort of home life now that I've got a I've got a family. Um so that's that's something that's that's tricky and that that needs to needs to um needs to be monitored and you know it's it's impossible to commit the same amount of hours that I did probably when I when I didn't have a little one and I'm a lot more tired these days as well but um yeah no plans in changing absolutely love working for the club love working for this coaching staff um and it would it would probably take a, a fresh challenge or I don't know just a, a unique opportunity to to change but Ideally, winning the big trophies with this set of coaching staff at this club is would be the pinnacle, to be honest. Well, Paul, that is um, as done with all our questions for today. So, last of all, I'd just like to say thank you so much for joining us. It's been, it's been a, a fascinating insight into an area of sport that we probably don't hear about as often as, as we should. Um, so thanks for joining us and we wish you all the best for the season coming no problem thanks very much it's been a pleasure you've been listening to Falkirk Community Trust Trust Us podcast tune in again next week for our next episode as we welcome another guest to take a fun look at sport and physical activity